That's right, Philippians. Philippians is where we've been, it's where we will be through the course of the summer. We're looking at the last few verses of chapter 1, Philippians. Just a public service announcement before I begin. Uh, this is kind of you know one of those responsibilities on Independence Day. I saw this posted on many South Shore uh, groups. I think it's pretty important. You want to remember this, all of you. As we approach, quote, here's the service announcement. As we approach the holiday, please remember that 911 is not the fireworks complaint line. If you, if you are mad that you were not invited to the neighborhood cookout, it's probably because you're the type of person that calls 911 for fireworks. <laughs> what does that have to do with the sermon? Nothing. But I just wanted to remind everybody to not be a party pooper on Independence Day. Uh, we do celebrate, of course, uh, independence uh, today as a nation state. But let's remember that uh, we have a greater liberty and we have a greater homeland. And this is the part that I'm not joking about uh, whatsoever. In our natural state, we as uh, human beings are struggling like mad uh, to gain and to we crave. We want independence. We want autonomy. We want to be free. We want to be free from any and all constraints. Uh, we want to be God. We want not God's desires, not God's ways, not God's wisdom. We want ours and we want to be independent of of him in our natural state. And we have this offer, this free offer in the gospel that if we turn, if we repent from our sins and we go to our creator and our redeemer and turn to Christ for forgiveness, then we are free. It's Galatians that says uh, Paul elsewhere writing to them, reminds them for freedom. Christ has set us free. For freedom, he has set us free. Stand firm, he writes, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Um, So just as a reminder, we are no longer slaves to sin. Uh, We are no longer slaves to uh, the law. We are no longer slaves to only serve our desires. We can actually love and serve God. And uh, to love him is a a sweet thing. And to be dependent, uh, we we have freedom, but only the freedom to go back and say, God, I depend upon you. I need you in my life. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's who we have dependence upon. So now we're reminded, of course, that we uh, have a citizenship. We uh, We have a home. We have a citizenship, ultimately, that is other. A homeland that is a kingdom that is already... Invisible and not yet in all of its fullness. Think about that. Think about the fact that we, as even God reminds through Paul, the church in Philippi, and us as well, uh, the church, to live as citizens of another land. As, as, uh, as some have said, resident aliens is what we are called to be and live uh, right now, wherever uh, God would place us uh, in the world, this world. So let me invite, I know you just uh, had a seat, but in in deference to God's word, please stand as we read these few verses. Philippians 1, verse 27. This is God's word. Only, Paul writes, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
This is God's word. You may be seated. Why don't we ask for his help? Father, right now, would you help us, we pray, to have clear thinking, uh, to have spiritual thinking because of your Holy Spirit. That sin in us might be subdued and, and put to death and that our love for Jesus might be cultivated and stirred. For we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. Have you ever seen a skunk up close? They're pretty, they're pretty adorable little creatures. I mean, they have a pretty stinky reputation, uh, but uh, but they're pretty cute. And we've had an opportunity uh, this uh, past few weeks to get up and close because a skunk family has decided to uh, kind of set up home somewhere in our our back uh, yard and back uh, back woods. And so we've we've had several sightings, even in the middle of the day. Of uh, a few skunks uh, roaming around, we've been a little bit concerned, obviously, with two dogs that also roam around. Uh, that one of them would get, uh, you know, get sprayed. And uh, sure enough, uh, the other night we came home to let the dogs out, and there's all kinds of barking. And and Josiah happened to notice there's the skunk, and uh, one of our dogs happened to turn and only got just kind of a little dusting of the, of the spray and came inside. So some of you have been there. Come talk to us about the strategy for how to get that out. Uh, you know, we, we have this again. What Troy, what does this have to do with the sermon and the message today? Well, I'm, I'm getting to that. I want to tie it in. Just bear with me for a moment. I want to tie that in uh, to to something. You know, when you drive down the road and you you see a skunk, sometimes that's the only time any of you have ever seen a skunk. Right. You've only seen it on the side or the middle of the road, dead, having you know been been uh, been run over, and you know that when you see that skunk in the road as roadkill, what's going to happen in about 50 yards? Your car is going to smell like a skunk. It's like the most predictable uh, you know smell in, in the world driving down the road, um, and so. Why do I tie that in except to say I sometimes wonder about our identity as followers of Christ in the world. If people were to encounter us, if people were to, 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 to be making their journey down the way and they run into a Christian, someone who professes uh, to be a follower of Jesus, what do they anticipate? Oh, boy, here it comes. Self-righteous, proud, smug judgmental what do they think of followers of Christ or do they go and they say that I anticipate upon meeting a Christian someone is a follower of Christ someone who is 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 honest and kind and 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 loving and gracious someone that that I can I can count on as a friend I wonder sometime because Paul here is saying that we should live lives that are Verse 27, in this culture, worthy of the gospel. I wonder sometimes what people think. Two themes that I see here. Two themes, living as citizens and uniting as soldiers. Living as citizens and uniting as soldiers. The first thing here, living as citizens, the the point here of Paul's letter, well, he's actually pivoted. So you see more of what the point is, because in the opening 26 verses, he's been referencing more uh, his circumstance and calling and and, uh, situation and updating them. But now he kind of takes a sharp pivot and he says, this is what I desire for you. And this is where his language is imperative. This is what you need to. This is what you must 
do as the church, as followers of Christ in Philippi. Here he is living in prison, wondering if he's going to die. Not not that that's a bad thing to him, because why? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We read that last week. Paul meant it. He would would rather go and be in the fullness of the presence of his Savior and glory. But nevertheless, he's persuaded that God would have him remain, although he doesn't exactly know. It seems as if God would have him stay, that he would be a resource, an encouragement, an instrument in their lives and for, for their sake. As he wants to go, whether he would see them eventually in person or write to them again, he wants to exhort them. Again, the, the, the opening there, let your manner of life be like this. And in the original language, that word manner uh, means to live as citizens. The, the sense there is live as citizens in this life and in this world worthy of the gospel. And, and the opening word there in verse 27 is only, only let your manner of life be this. As if to say, this is only, only hear this. This is of, of the utmost importance for you, uh, for them and for us. Only hear, you know, this is the takeaway. This is of, of, of great importance to them. To live out the gospel, to live it out, not that they could be worthy of the gospel as to earn God's grace and favor, but instead in response, in gratitude to God's favor. So now everything he's saying in our lives are to be lived for Christ. As one teacher I heard one time say, from vocation to vacation, from vocation to vacation, living for Christ. Everything is to be lived worthy of the gospel. Everything is to be brought under the lordship in our lives. The lordship of Christ. There's no area. You don't get to say, well, I'm living for Christ, but but this area is for me. There are no exemptions. There are no places and areas of life that we get to partition off. Everything, our entertainment, our spending, our eating, our speaking, how we treat our co-workers and our family is all to be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. Not, not, not flawlessly, not perfectly, but nevertheless, I say this intentionally, consistently for Christ until Progressively, that's God's design. Remember back at the very beginning in verse six of chapter one, he says, this is the this is the aim. This is the trajectory that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. That's his design. That's his desire for you and for me who are followers of Christ united to him, that we would be more like him over time, more and more. It was John Newton. um, the great pastor and uh, hymn writer who said, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but I'm still not what I once used to be. By the grace of God, he writes, I am what I am. Thank you, Lord. I'm not, I'm not what I want to be or God, God fully would have me to be, but I'm not what I used to be. There's echoes of this same uh, invitation to live lives worthy uh, in Ephesians. When Paul writes there, here's kind of the echo when he writes to the church in Ephesus, not just Philippi. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you were called with all humility 
and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And and notice, whether it's your calling or, or we're here, he says, he didn't say, live lives worthy of the law. I mean, a Jew could do that. He says, you you live lives worthy of the gospel. Not that we ought not live unto the law. Indeed, we should. The law of God is a gift to us. It is exactly what we should be submitted to and surrendered to. No doubt about it. It is for our joy. It is for his glory that we would live in allegiance to a law and a a kingdom and and a citizenship that is different than this world. But what he's saying is you need to live lives worthy of the gospel. In other words, we are to live in in a fashion, in a way that reflects and shows forth Christ in all graciousness and and all truth. The three marks that he has here that he says would be that expression. The three marks living lives worthy of the gospel. A, first of all, standing firm in the faith. Secondly, standing together in unity. And then lastly, standing without fear. Without fearfulness, even amidst the threats of, of opposition and misunderstanding. To live lives worthy of the gospel is to show that our citizenship ultimately is future and other. That, that, that even as we sang earlier, that my worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in, we, we listed off a variety of things in that song. And we live in a place at a time where your worth is so much tied to what you own. Or what you like. Or how you live. Our worth is in a different place. And, in, and as a result, we can't help but that we will be indeed misfits in our world. Because we are supposed to live pilgrims, pilgrims. Resident aliens living here. Now for the, the church and the people of Philippi, you think about that. What would that look like to live in a countercultural kind of way? For, for, for many of the, in the, in the Roman Empire, uh, you know, even for, for Philippi, which was very much in its dress and its culture and its language, trying to mimic the capital city of Rome. The encouragement is that they would, you know, that they would live counterculturally. But that was a world where everyone lived. And so the easiest way the, the writer of Hebrews says to live counterculturally is with respect to sex and money. Sexual morality and with respect to, to money, not lovers of money. Radical living in purity and in generosity. You know, it was later in the second century that despite the persecution and the, uh, the opposition that the church actually ended up thriving. That the commitment that they had uh, to Christ was a catalyst, uh, even that, that persecution for outreach. That people were attracted to Christ and to the community, there was even an explosion of Christianity uh, that many could not could not understand and wrap their head around. There was a dignitary in that day. His name was Adognatus, and uh, and we don't know a whole lot about him except that someone did some research for him and wrote back to him. I've read excerpts of this letter before. It's a letter from the uh, somewhere around uh, you know 150 A.D. as the church is exploding and Christians are spread all throughout. Uh, the, the Roman Empire, he writes this to his excellency, Diognetus, I understand, sir, that you are really interested in learning about the religion of the Christians and that you are making an accurate and careful investigation of the subject. Christians are not distinguished 
from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. Think about that. Which, by the way, I I saw some statistics that came out that shows that Christianity, unlike any other religion, past uh, or present, is the most diverse as far as where it ends up geographically, ethnically. It It is by far the most diverse in its representation throughout time and in the world culturally. It shouldn't surprise us. But that's what he's writing. He's saying it's not that they're all one language kind of people. That's Muslims. Think about this. For nowhere do they live, he goes on to write, do they live in cities of their own. Nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not discard their offspring. They marry like everyone else and have children. They do not discard their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed, which is to say they share their food, but not their wives. They busy themselves, he writes, describing Christians. This is like a social scientist saying they busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. But in their own lives, they go far beyond what the law requires. They love all men and by all men are persecuted. They are unknown and they still are condemned. They are put to death and yet they are brought to life. That's radical living. That's salt and light. That is is other world. What does it mean? It means that they, like we, were faced with misunderstanding, with opposition. Living as citizens of another place, for another place. Different Lord, different allegiance, you know, different hope, different definition of, of, uh, of our identity and our, our value. Let's move on. That's one thing, living as citizens. The next one is uniting as soldiers. I remember as a young boy uh, in uh, Sunday school, we used to get to pick sometimes the songs that we would sing. And I always wanted to sing, I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Didn't quite understand exactly how that all worked out, but that's exactly what the metaphor is. We are called to be a people who, who, who press on. And here, the reason that they're called, as Paul would describe here, his desires that they would have, look at, look at, the, look at the words there in verse 27, 28, one spirit, one mind, that they would be striving side by side for the faith. We're called to be the church, which just by, by, by word means the assembled ones, those who are called together. And that's how, that's how we need to live. But we also live scattered and sent out. And we need to still be uh, linked in, in, in arms for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Which, by the way, is a spiritual battle because there's a battle within hearts <laughs> There's also a battle from without as it pertains to the dark forces of the enemy, the great deceiver, Satan. Isaiah 43 uh, was our Old Testament reading this morning is is saying, listen, you, you need not fear even those threats, inevitable as they may be, because the battle belongs to the Lord. Verse 28, let's look at our text again. And not frightened, he says. In anything by your opponents. This is the clear sign. 
to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He anticipates that we, he anticipates that they and we will face resistance. Isn't that true? Why? Why can't it be? Why, why would we face opposition and resistance and misunderstanding and persecution? Well, you know, you, did you ever think about this? What's been the cost of discipleship for you? As it relates to the culture and the, the opinions of, of, of man. Think about it. I mean, why, you know, there have been times I thought, why can't I just be winsome? Right? Why, why can't I just try my, my very best to not be a party pooper? I, mean, I want to be kind. I, I want to be humble and not self-centered. I want to be, I desire to be loving towards my neighbors all the time. Why? Why is that yet still nevertheless at times met with opposition? Well, don't be surprised. The gospel is a sweet treasure to some, and it is a sharp offense to others. To some, there's that salvation. To others, it's destruction. I didn't say it. Paul did, inspired of God. Now, here's where the skunk fits back in, okay? Think about it. This is what Paul writes. It should be a great encouragement to us as we think about just the nature of, of life and death, of, of truth and, and error, of good and evil, of, of you know, opposition and, and the, the positive rejection. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us... The people of God living in, in, in offense, not just defense, but in going out there and, and spreading the good news of Jesus. He says to spread through us to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And here the contrast among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Don't you get it? Think about it. If you live out the gospel, if you live in, in allegiance to a, a kingdom and your, your, your citizenship is elsewhere, don't, don't think that there won't be people who look at you and they say, that's nonsense. What's wrong with you? I don't like you. Get away from me. To one, we are the fragrance of life, and to others, it's the aroma of death. For those who love sin and self and love the world, they don't want to be challenged. And Satan, the father of lies, has deceived them to think and to keep them enslaved and blinded to sin. They cannot smell the sweetness of the gospel. And even if they can smell it in some measure, they're apathetic and they reject it. We are called to live for Christ by sharing the truth. Humbly, boldly sharing the truth about the freedom that is found in Christ alone. Those who do not know Christ and reject the gospel, some are apathetic. Indeed, others are antagonistic. There's two gifts that we get. Two gifts. This is the, the very... The, you think about this, verse 29. What does he say? Here are the two gifts. Let me read the verse again. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict. Here's the two gifts. You get faith 
which is a gift from God to be exercised. And you and I get suffering. It's not like a, a sign-up sheet for the potluck. Okay? No, people don't sign up for suffering. But it's coming. It has come for many of you. And it will. 2 Timothy 3, indeed, Paul writes, 2 Timothy 3, 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We live in a culture right now, tragically, I will say, but increasingly depraved and confused. People all over the place are calling what is good evil and what is evil good. They have traded, to no surprise now, they have traded and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's a sad thing. It's a pitiful thing. It's a disastrous reality. They're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And what we believe and how we live right now for another Lord in another land is repulsive to that culture. If we stand firm in our beliefs, even with humility, charity, sincerity, and integrity, we will be despised because of what we proclaim and what we espouse and how we prioritize life and marriage and truth. Buckle up. But don't whine about it. Don't, don't, don't bicker and complain. Don't, don't, don't bemoan it all day. And remember, you're not alone because what are we told so clearly? We have God's people arm in arm together. We have God's presence. We are not alone. Again, the greatest suffering is, is the suffering that you would bear up under for the weight of sin. And Christ has done that for us. And so now we get to, not got to, we get to suffer for Christ's sake. Upside down, doesn't make sense, I get it. But find yourself, in, don't find yourself anywhere else. It's so, it's so wonderful to be loved and appreciated by the world. But don't expect it if you're following Jesus. Not at all. It's life or death. It's, it is indeed right and wrong. Jesus makes clear, John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Take refuge in Christ. Follow him. Father, we look to you right now. We acknowledge that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And we thank you, God, for the wisdom of Scripture. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would press us to find uh, new motivations and new affection and new motivation to present ourselves as, as those who desire to live lives worthy of the gospel. Workmen and workwomen who are not ashamed, who correctly handle the word of truth. And to have a, a, new, a new affection for Jesus as the focal point. Living life as a people worthy of the gospel. Lord, help us as a congregation to grow into uh, maturity and to to be transformed, that we would prize and pursue the city that is to come. Help us to press on. To, would you build us up as a family to, to manifest love and 
our community. Lord, we pray that you would grow our church family. You have in maturity with more worshipers. And we thank you, God, for the ways that you've grown us up with children. Even those who are expecting right now, Lord, I, I pray for these unborn children. Be with each of the young parents of our church. With wisdom and perseverance, Lord, strengthen and encourage people in our congregation. And, and Lord, others in our community that are trying to, to, to navigate life on the other end of things because they're, they're caring for aged parents. Lord, I pray today that you'd be with those who face chronic and discouraging illness. We pray especially, Lord, for our dear sister Emily. She waits for more tests and treatments. Have mercy, Lord. Lord, have mercy. Be with those who experience loneliness. You know the... And those who grieve, Lord, you know the tears that have been shed and the challenges of of sorrow. I pray you'd strengthen and comfort people in ways that you uniquely can. Would you, Lord, restore us and renew us and refresh us, Lord, as we struggle through conflicts, especially in marriage and in family, Lord. Lord, we thank you for where we live. We thank you for the freedoms that we uh, enjoy because of this country. And we ask uh, Lord, that you would bless our brothers and sisters in other lands where there, there's not only restrictions on freedom, but there's intense persecution, especially as followers of Christ. Lord, grant them perseverance. The sweetness of your promises rich in their hearts. Lord, we, we know that where we live and the time we live in, we have many unique opportunities and liberties But would you please help us to not worship those, that we would leverage them all the more for your glory and for your kingdom purposes as we long for a new heavens and a new earth. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We pray even now as you taught your disciples to pray in Jesus' name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive.